there's no reason that I should be alive in the natural. There's no reason I should be walking when the nerves in both fronts of my legs were dead. When the neurologist tested them, they were dead. Feet hung down like this. There's no reason I could see after five and a half years. But the biggest thing is the person I, I was born again. the Weird Christian Podcast. I am your host, Samuel Delgado, and this is episode five. I interview a man who's truly on fire for God, Mickey Robinson. He shares his near-death experience after nearly burning to death in a plane crash. Not only did God heal his legs after he was told he could never walk again, his eye after he was told he would never be able to see again, God healed his very soul and gave him new life in him. I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. So with no further ado, let's get weird. We're going to talk about life and about the power of life and about the person, the personality of Jesus, God, the Father and the Holy Spirit. Most people have heard those three names, God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. A lot of people have a lot of information, either historical information or nominal church information. There's movies, there's books, there's artworks, all depicting this. But unless you have a personal encounter and a revelation, they're just characters in history and in religious philosophy, spiritual philosophy, whatever. But for people who are seekers, if you seek, you will find. I gotta say, uh, by definition, I didn't start out as a seeker. I was born uh, in a suburb, or Cleveland, Ohio, I was raised in a suburb called Independence, Ohio. It's a suburb of Cleveland where, and I was born in 1949. So I grew up, uh, they would call me a post-World War II baby boomer. I guess people were really nervous during the war. And then afterwards, boom, there was lots of babies and I was one of them. And uh, the place I grew up was middle, maybe upper middle. And it was a real, a suburb, which there was a big industrial city, which Cleveland was, and a lot of jobs, people would go into the city. And there were many ethnic neighborhoods surrounding that. There was a Polish neighborhood, an Irish neighborhood, African-American neighborhood, all Italian neighborhood. And they're all very, very separate. But when these suburbs, began to develop, people had to mingle. So uh, on my mom's side of the family, she was Italian. She was one of nine children born, one of the first born actually in the United States. So from the time I'm an infant, I grew up in a Catholic church and went to a Catholic school. And my father was the youngest of six boys. And he was a proclaimed atheist, but he was very tolerant. He would drop us off and we'd go to church. It was uh, me and then eventually it was two boys, two girls, I was third in the birth order, and uh, and went to Catholic school for eight grades, then went to public high school, and so I heard all about Jesus, and every holiday, every holiday, and, and we were glad we were in the Catholic school, because we got off days when the public school didn't get off. Other than that, it was, everybody kind of knew everybody in our town, everybody, we even rode the same buses to public school, there wasn't any of this politically correct or problems like that, yeah. so, um, it was normal, and I found out at an early age I was really good at sports, and 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 then that you're in certain groups of people. Now, even though we lived in an ideal kind of a community, there was an ideal 
lifestyle in the home. We had a lot of domestic uh, dysfunction. My father was an alcoholic. There was a lot of problems. So I was looking at life outside of my family life. At that time, you know, I was maybe one of the first TV generations, you know, so there was everything was smiling, leave it to beaver, bonanza, everything was nice. Everybody, if you're an American, you could get the American dream if you just exercise a little bit of character and ability. And so the older I got, it seems I thought I was smarter. And um, it used to be a term, I don't know if people still use it. Hey, that, that person needs to get their act together. That person doesn't have that act together. Well, that person's got their act together. I, I like to have this focus. God isn't looking for people who know they've got their act together. He can work with people who know their act or their acting is over, that we can't pretend that things are okay, that we're good, that we can accomplish all the stuff we need to have the peace in our lives. And though I had what it took on the outside to be in the right group, have the right girlfriend, get on the football team, the swim team, I was a gymnast, uh, play baseball, was in a, um, championship football, all that stuff. And I had the right group of friends. I kind of knew everybody and I didn't really distinct from that, but everybody, but inside, what I was really missing was something that you can't get from this world. There's not enough money. There's not enough relationships. There's not the right girlfriend or marital partner. There isn't the right job. There's not, there's not right anything because what we needed, you can only get from outside of this earthly realm. Even though I heard all about spiritual principles and all that, the, the faster I got moving forward in my quote, ambition, the more I was living only for the moment. And so when I graduated from high school, it was on a Thursday, the following Monday was my 18th birthday. And I started working in a job in a stock brokerage firm in downtown Cleveland, never been to university, didn't read any books about it, but I thought that's kind of flashy. I went and interviewed and basically I put on my best clothes. I went in there to impress the people. And this sounded like a cool job. And then I found out they were interviewing 300. I mean, <laughs> They called me back in a group of 10 and they actually hired me. Wow. And after a few months I was promoted. So this fit all of my quote, my natural abilities and talents. It was very trendy, it was fast moving. This is a time when our economy, when there was all kinds of opportunities and I'm then buying and selling uh, stock for, other, for the executives, handling millions of dollars of other people's money every day. And they're grooming me to be somebody. So my ego, was blowing up about as big as a hot air balloon yeah. and I felt really good and you know but when you are living for temporal excitement there just isn't enough there's not enough excitement there's not, and so I was fascinated with flying from a little kid I like the Wright brothers uh Superman is was my superhero there's no way Batman could beat Superman I don't care what the Marvel people do you know, there's, just, right. there's just no way and uh I looked about airplanes, gliders, the NASA space program, anything about flight. And I went down to actually uh, to a sportsman show in Cleveland, thinking I'm going to buy this kit, I wonder where I get the money, to, ma to make what's called a gyrocopter. It's a Volkswagen motor, like a lawn chair. I'm sure duct tape would be involved. <laughs> but it's actually, I saw it in a James Bond movie. They assembled it out of a packing trunk and put it together. And it's really a cool flying machine. And some guy from North Carolina developed it. But before I could find that exhibit, I saw a big screen, full-size photograph, high definition. And it was like 
in the movie when when the guy sees the girl everything gets blurry on this side and, this, and they're running in slow motion to each other and i went up and there's these big colored pictures of people skydiving and in free fall and i went i'm gonna do that and i signed up and i went out the next saturday wow made my first jump actually made two and i said there's a package of seven i said i'll do all of it <laughs> and by the time i made 20 jumps i was asked to be on a professional skydiving team and I'm like the second or third generation of skydivers that were developing the sport after World War II. A bunch of people jumped out of airplanes in the military and they wanted more. And actually that's when sport parachuting actually developed. It isn't like today where you can go out and go out with a guy strapped down and make a tandem jump. You had yeah. to make five military jumps, the sixth one, if you do everything right, it's a free fall, the seventh, and then on and up. And when you get better, you get to go a little longer. Only one out of 10 people ever make a second jump. Hardly anybody becomes a skilled skydiver, let alone an elite skydiver. And I was jumping with two of the best skydivers in the whole world, actually more than that, but two of the American skydiving team, parachute team, were at my club out in Ohio and some other ones. And, and everything else got put on the back burner. When a person, any, any individual, male or female, gets obsessed with something, that becomes the, the sole thing. And for me to be in a free fall, it was like I was falling into freedom. I wasn't thinking about all the problems I had had at home. I wasn't thinking about the Vietnam War that I could have gone into. I wasn't thinking about what's going to happen next year or three years from now. I was literally living for the moment. And that moment was 30 to 60 seconds in free fall where you feel like you're flying. It's like Superman. You yeah. open your parachute and you got a beautiful five or six minute parachute ride down. You hit the ground and then you pack up and you got to do it again. Everything in this life satisfies in the space of time, whether it's a moment or five years or a lifetime of earthly pleasure, it never fills you up. And, and I was good at it and I enjoyed it and, and people thought I was great. And I put you know the job on the back burner, uh, the girlfriend I was gonna be engaged to that Christmas on the back burner. I, I, didn't, I didn't hate anything. This became the, the premier thing. Wow. And it actually, I could say this now, if somebody said it back then, it was my, it, it had become, and I'll just say it in context, I would never talk like that. It was the Lord of my life. All my thoughts were about it. I'd wake up in the morning, it was a crummy day, weather, I said, maybe it'll clear up. It was always trying to think of doing it next. Wow. And there's not, I still like that kind of stuff. I'm still pretty adventurous. I'm a snow skier and blah, 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 and all that stuff. But there's nothing that compares to what a person is really hungry for. And on a regular Thursday night, making a practice jump with two professional skydivers and two students, myself included, we pulled five seats out of the plane. We took off and moments after the takeoff, as we were climbing out, I was awakened. I was, I was so bored with flying in airplanes. I just wanted to go to the top floor and get out. I was, I was actually drifting off to sleep. Suddenly the pilot says, oh my God, and hit me in the shoulder, said, that's it, we're going down. We lost the engine. And we lost our lift, which is the aerodynamic principle that makes an airplane fly. And we just dropped out of the sky. I'll be going up to 100 miles an hour, hit a tree. It threw me forward. My face stopped my body going 100 miles an hour. No seatbelt on, no helmet on. Oh, my word. And the, the, wing, the airplane cartwheeled on its wings and was wedged into the ground. Obviously, shock and confusion as the other skydivers uh, smashed into each other and they wrestled to get him out. The last guy getting out as he was stepping away. The plane exploded and he heard screaming and realized I was trapped inside the plane. 
as well as the pilot, who was the only one in a seat. And this brave man who was my partner went back in the burning airplane, grabbed me by the harness and pulled, something had me caught. This airplane, which had been my chariot of pleasure, had, I was in it on fire, soaked with gasoline, burning from head to toe, smashed my head, I, was, I had a head injury. And I barely, I don't remember actually being in the plane and in fire. Uh, they pulled me out, got me on the ground, began to try and put the fire out. Very volatile uh, airplane fuels, very high octane and volatile. They got the fire out and um, they said, get up and run. And I took some steps, fell over. And the next thing I remember, I was in an ambulance. And I, and I remember looking up at the ceiling, a very blurry kind of memory, hearing that whining sound an ambulance makes. And for the first time in my life, a person that didn't really know God called out to a Lord that I never served and said, help me, please help me. I'm sorry, help me. He got me to the hospital, let my mother visit me for like 60 seconds and rushed me into the operating room. I don't remember anything until the next day. The doctors, uh, I had a brain injury uh, from hitting my head. I'm blind in my right eye. Three degree, third degree burns over a large portion of my body, second degree burns over other parts of it. Obviously, tremendous impact shock and trauma. They didn't think I'd make it through the night. They thought I would just die of shock, but I made it through the night. And the next thing I remember, there was a stream of people coming to see me and there were people I knew and let them in one at a time in intensive care, basically letting them in pretty much to say goodbye. The whole side of my face, it looked like a hot dog that would have been in a campfire until it was baked black. And this arm, this entire leg, um, massive burns. And the worst thing about burn injuries, obviously they're bad to begin with, but the likelihood of getting complications. And over a very short period of time, I was to develop massive infection, even though they were trying everything to stop that. I had infection inside my body. My blood became infected. I lost huge amounts of weight almost immediately. I had internal injuries from um, my stomach uh, flowing back when I was in a coma and digesting my esophagus. I went from 170 some pounds and I was a professional athlete down to 90 some pounds in a matter of weeks. Uh, I had holes in my body that were open sores where bones were sticking through. And sometimes I was even, it's recorded, I even was bleeding 10 pints of blood a day. And that blood had microorganisms living in. And so there was no, they just, they tried everything they could and they brought in a specialist from a, a famous teaching hospital in the Cleveland area. And I, I just remember what he wrote in the last thing. He said, there's simply nothing I can offer this young man. Basically, he was saying, there is no hope. And they were waiting for the mercy of death to take me. On a day that was just horrible, I remember being so sick and burning with a fever. And real I couldn't breathe very well. Rapid breath, but not getting enough. I was tipped up a little bit. And suddenly, and I never heard anything like this. My spirit was, was expelled out of my physical body. And instantly, I was in a spiritual dimension. Instantaneously, I had this knowledge that I never had anything talked. I never heard anything like this. Instantly, I became completely aware that this spirit person, the real you, the one that lives inside, is a spirit. And I had the total comprehension of eternity forever and ever. We can't do that because as long as we're here, you know, as much as we get in the spirit and all that, we're still in a, in a physical realm where there's a space and a time realm. Everything has a beginning, everything that has an ending, but in turning, everything is forever.
and it's a shock. And I'm in this spiritual dimension and realize I am a spirit. I have a soul and I don't even think about my body. I was too flabbergasted by the spiritual awareness. Everything is, you don't think logic and reasoning. You just know that you know. And I was gliding like on a path, an invisible flight path up. And I could see this white circular, pure white like snow and bright as the sun, but it could look right at it. And I felt like a piece emanating from it. And I was being drawn there. And as I was almost there, I felt only I could describe like a pressure on my right side. And I looked and I looked and I could, I knew I could sense this realm. It was blacker than black. It was eternal. I knew if a spirit, if a person's spirit goes there, it, they will be cut off forever from the source of life. You never, you'll be super consciousness, desirous of everything, knowing you will never experience it. Like if I would take you and pick you up and put you in a swimming pool of black ink and put you under, you'd be conscious, you wouldn't feel anything, you wouldn't see anybody, you wouldn't taste, none of your senses would be affected and you would want everything knowing you would get nothing forever and ever. That is what's called the outer darkness. And as that was closing, eclipsing on me, I began to cry out the same untrained, clumsy, but desperate prayer. I said, God, help me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Give me another chance. I want to be alive. When I said I want to be alive, I got thrust through that white, as, as this blackness was closing off like a, like a door closing and eclipsed. There was like just a band of pure white light that I could see through. I flew through that crack and instantly I was standing in the third heaven in the presence of the real God, instantaneously, I knew I would never die forever and ever and ever. Instantaneously, there's, there's three things I wanna talk about, uh, make mention of in this in the supernatural <clears throat> that was unheard of to me. One was eternity. It's unbelievable. The, the, the comprehension of forever and ever is, it just doesn't work for us here as physical beings. The second thing, and this is maybe hard for people to comprehend, my consciousness was as if I had never done anything wrong forever, anytime, mm -hmm. as if I was completely innocent always. Mm -hmm. And the third thing is the most powerful thing is being exposed to the undiluted perfect love of God. I think that's like, it's so incredible. Now they say, well, what did you see? What was like? Oh, I didn't see any little fat babies with diapers on them, you know, playing a guitar and flying around with wings. And so you didn't see any people. You didn't see St. Peter at the gate checking IDs. And I didn't see any personalities. And what I, the stuff that this was made out of, it was like, it was like see-through glass, translucent glass, but it had colors in it that you could see through. And all around, could, it was all around. Everything was made out of this jewel-like stuff that was hard to describe. And everything is alive and everything is worshiping God. And then coming from my left to right was this, it is a river, but it looks like light flowing with little golden flecks in it. And it was going through me like from more between my waist and my knees. It's the river of life. And everything that river touches is completely alive. It's an extension of God and his glory. And then I saw a vision, an open vision, four dimensions of about six, almost six and a half years of, from then into the future. I saw 
trouble on earth. I saw glorious things. I saw my wife five years before I met her. I saw the first house we were going to have six years before it happened. I could smell the flowers. There's this uh, lilac bushes that were growing outside the gate where we we're going to have horses. And it was a sense of peace. I said, this pretty blonde girl who was my wife that I wasn't going to meet for another five and a half years walking towards me. And then I saw this other scene in the tropical paradise. And I, I heard someone was speaking. Then I, I zoomed into the matrix. The Lord took me into it. And it was me talking and I heard myself saying, so this is paradise. It was actually a place in the Caribbean. And when I heard that and saw that, suddenly that vanished and I was in the presence of God and God revealed what he was doing to me. He didn't speak to me in words like me into this microphone or me into this screen. His very thoughts and his heart and his words came right into my spirit by the spirit. And I knew I was going back to the earth and I didn't want to go. But when he spoke, I began to get withdrawn like the way I, I came out of the third heaven, went through the second heaven, didn't see anything. Through the earth's atmosphere, I could feel my spirit passing through the roof of the hospital and settled into my body. I could feel the pushing of my, like if you can imagine you were made out of wind and you went into a, a sponge or a bushy tree or something. You could, and, and as I woke up, I could see out of this eye, this eye was blind. And here out of these ears, I was worshiping God in languages I never heard of. And the person who was had multiple causes, fatal <laughs> afflictions of death, came alive instantly. And around the bed, there were, I don't know, five or six doctors and nurses. They were staring at me. And I had the ability to sense through my through the spiritual senses now to know what was in each person. And these people were absolutely terrified by what they just saw. And it's hard to describe. Just listen to me. And if you have questions, you can ask me what I mean by this. I felt bad. I was so full of a love that I didn't know existed. You see, because what I saw in heaven, I didn't see the, any image or the presence of the person of God. I saw this river of life. That river was now inside me. And the Lord himself was now inside me. Nothing was going on up here, but in out of me, I was just so full of love. Everything about me was still catastrophic and fatal. No healing had begun. They're waiting for me to die. They had saw something terrible happen. Somehow I, I woke up. They were scared. I felt bad that these people felt bad. Everything about me was fatal in the natural, horrible, pain, suffering. Everything was lost. And I was so full of life. It's, it's unfathomable. But that's the power of God's redeeming love. Even muscle memory won't be remembered in heaven. And now this person, I'm in this devastated body. The doctors are still waiting for me to die that day. I didn't. And the next day, there wasn't anything. I didn't get hit by lightning. I was still gravely sick. They found out more was wrong with me. But from that point on, God began a redemption. From that point on, things began to change. I was a different person. I was never like this before. I never met anybody like this before. I never heard of anything. And sovereignly, God began to work work. So there's all kinds of things. Not, I'll reserve that for you to ask me any questions when I get done with this. Because I, went, I was in intensive care for about four months. And then I was in a, a basket case ward until they were going to transfer me to a rehabilitation hospital, which was on the other side of town, which was for people that had really big problems. And I said I was going to walk. I lost the ability to walk. Both my legs below my knees. The nerves were dead. They said never walk again. I said I'm going to walk out of here. And I, and I had multiple things 
that God gave me bursts of faith. I didn't have words for it, but I know that life was beginning to grow me, a new kind of life. And um, God healed me on May 15th of both legs being paralyzed. They popped back up when I spoke to him. I was blind for five and a half years in my right eye. I could see, I, and the eye was supposedly dead. But the biggest thing, and I always want to emphasize this, a person who was a, as good as, whatever I did that was good, no matter what I did, I was a sinner, and there was nothing redemptive or rewarding about what I had previously done. Now I was, God basically answered my desperate prayer. I want to live, give me another chance. He sent me back from that condition and began to heal me. And uh, I did find that woman pretty blonde that I saw in the vision. And we did have that house and we did have four kids and we have seven grandchildren. And I never, never thought to get on the list to be in ministry. God eliminated everything and called me to do what I've been doing in full-time ministry for over 45 years now. Traveled you know, eight of the nine continents, the physical, not, not, not counting the frozen ones, and been in maybe 40 or some different countries to minister people all over, as well as all over the United States. But I have always enjoyed when God sets me up with one person. Now, I may be talking to one person today that listens. I'm certainly talking to you. And I'm saying that God cares so much about us. He has the power to change anything, and he can do everything. And so that's my story. I'm sticking with it. Jesus Christ is alive. The scriptures are not a historical book. They're not a philosophical book. They're the words of life. And everything that Jesus said is spirit and life. He can change anything and he can do everything. Anything you ever really wanted comes from him. And his boundaries gives you safety and pleasant places yeah there's troubles in this world in the world there's tribulation but in him there's peace take courage he said i have overcome the world okay that's the uh, reader's digest <laughs> oh, oh yeah 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 thank you um yeah you have such an incredible story um and uh you know you know what i love about it is you know, as you describe your, your upbringing, uh, you know, from the outside, you know, I, I love hearing, you know, the kind of fire you have for Jesus now, because on the outside, it really seemed like you had um, just like the Midas touch, everything that you touched turned to gold. Uh, you know, you, you're a popular star athlete, um, you know, you applied for, you know, the stockbroker job, and you just, you know, immediately catapulted and were successful. Um, and same thing with the skydiving. Um, but, you know, hearing you talk about Jesus, uh, it, it just goes to show you just how much more satisfying uh, that is than, than what, you know, maybe happiness or success looks like on the outside. So um, that's incredible. Um, I do want to follow back uh, on a few other things, but, but on that same note, um, in the book, you write about how uh, once you get out of the hospital, uh, you, you were able to skydive. Uh, you know, for the first time again, um, and you you kind of talked about how it was a bit of a letdown about you kind of realized that that you know that thrill seeking it didn't quite have that same satisfaction as it used to. Um, and so my my question was, uh, you know, I know I know the answer may be Jesus, but you know what what thrills you today? Um, 
now that you've uh, had this renewed life in Christ? Well, there's, there's an individual experience you can have with the Lord when there's nobody else around. I, mean, I love, I'm an outdoors guy. I mean, I still like sports, you know, and stuff like that. I love to be outside. But when you have a one-on-one a, a -on -one encounter with the Lord, whether it's just thankfulness and appreciation, or you're really having some kind of an ecstatic experience, or you're the small group of people or a large group of people. But when I am energized in the spirit, in his purposes, there's nothing that can compare to it. Whether you're praying with somebody or the Lord gives you something through the Holy Spirit as a gift for someone else, or you experience something for yourself, it's, it's like it's the first time every time. It's never gets old. It, it never is like, oh, I know what this is like. It's always fresh, exhilarating, and it charges you up. It's like, it's like charging your, your spiritual batteries. I love that more than anything else, but I do like, still, like I, I made my first jump. I mean, I weighed 115 pounds, and the guy that saved my life, my partner, went out with me and my kid brother, who was too young to be jumping. He went out, we went out from first time out, 12,500 feet. The only time I was maybe concerned about parachuting, I thought maybe I'm too skinny and too light to actually make it all the way down, get caught in the jet stream and go around. No, I wasn't worried. When I say I landed, everybody that came up, the national champion came up and congratulated me. Everybody thought it was fabulous. And it was, you know, it's, I like it. But God had other purposes for me. And I made actually a number of jumps and I had an experience two years later where I basically questioned everything and began to really seek the Lord. Because my job at that time was being healed. My job, what the Lord was doing was healing me. And he was showing me things in the spiritual realm. And a lot of the, some of the stuff I was doing, what I was exposed to was not God. And you just can't say everything's all good. Everything's under grades. It's not like a Chinese restaurant. I'll have something from column A and some column B. God was showing me there's consequences. There's, there, there's good things. There, there's, there's living things. And there's temporary, like just carnal things. But then there's destructive things. Yeah. And our world was changed. I was seeing them in, through different eyes and having different perception. And I thought, because of this love, I, I thought, not only are you supposed to love everybody, you could say everything's okay. And that's not right. And, and it's not that you judge people. It's like, there's certain things you shouldn't do, or I shouldn't do. And that may change. It doesn't mean that you get so good, you can do anything. You know, there's, there's things that are just never going to be uh, healthy to do. You can waste time or you can do worse than that. You can do things that are destructive either in yourself. Sin is a violation of relationship. You violate relationship with God, yourself, or other people. Uh, destructive things basically have consequences. Sometimes they spread out like collateral damage. But edifying things, you build yourself up and you project light and life, and that affects people. That affects circumstances. Some of those things last forever. Some of those things... It could, you'll never know. Uh, there are people that you know, get emails or hear testimonies. Well, what you said, I just had someone come up this morning and say that they saw me on TV and blam, they changed their life and all that. Well, that's great. It's really about Jesus. It's, if there's anything about me that is noteworthy, it's my absolute weakness and God's incredible unlimited strength. I don't say that to try and sound right. I know how strong I was. That was all in the natural. Even when I did good, it was only temporary. But the eternal things that happen to a person when they're, I don't minister for God, I minister from God. Right. From actually being personally with him and him changing me and out of, you know, 
He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. What we draw from him, in other words, he's the root. If I um, cut my bushes off today and set them in the sun, 10 minutes later, it would look, it would look the same way. But tomorrow it would dry up. Anything that we have, we have to, we, we draw from the source of life, which is the Lord himself. We don't just all of a sudden get mature and we can do it on our own. So I realized that everything I do that is really living is because I am, I'm rooted and grounded in, in him and his love. And that's what comes out of me. So that's what I really like. I do like, like to mess around with my family, like to mess around with my friends. I've had the privilege to travel the world. I love being at home. I go out with my chainsaw, try and clean up, burn my own firewood when it's cold. I mean, we have a fake winter here in Tennessee. You know that. I don't know. Where, where were you from originally? Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, okay. You, you, you probably never lived in the North. No, no. Did you ever visit the North? No, no. Yeah, we have. A... Well, they have winter where it's it's cold and frozen all the time. And we, we had this winter. We had some real winter here a month ago for about five days. But yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy having my life back. I'll say that but I love the things of God. I love worship. I love music. I uh, do a lot of things that I enjoy and some things that maybe they're just, I don't think it's not that, see, if I'd have got into skydiving again as uh, a continual hobby or, or something to do, it would absorb, but to do it at the level I did it, you got to really do it. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, Somebody who's really good at something, they just can't go and do it at kind of a novice level. And right, yeah, you can't right. be a professional golfer and go live on putt-putt. I mean, it's just not going to work. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know you're not going to, it would be meaningless. And I think it would have taken me, I mean, again, the first special number of years was intensely healing me and training me. And I'm still learning as a follower of Jesus. I tell people I'm not an expert because X means has been and spurt is a drip under pressure. So I, I just want to Keep following Jesus. And awesome. All right. So I have a, a couple just follow-up questions um, from your story. So between the time that you got to the hospital and the time you had your near-death experience, how much time had, had passed between them? You know, it's, it's good. Someone asked me that, and I don't have it really journaled down. I have The only records I have were my dismissal notes from the first hospital yeah. and the notes from this uh, expert physician who named all these horrible conditions I had. And then Annie wrote, there's some, there's nothing I can offer this young man. I'm estimating it's in weeks and not months that I had a really fat, rapid decline. Um, I remember I, I was in a coma on a particular day and you could stick a uh, scalpel in me. I wouldn't have felt it. I was there's no hearing, there's no seeing, but all of a sudden my, the lead doctor was on this side of the bed with a thing, talking to a nurse over here, I can tell you what he was wearing. He says, when this patient, Mr. Robinson, dies, I want you to sanitize this area and move that bed over here, Mr. Clark, over here. So I'm thinking, no, no. Even though I was in a coma, I could not hear, I could not see, I could not respond, was unresponsive, my spirit could hear, hear and see. Yeah. And I, it was like soon, maybe the next day after that, when I actually had this near-death, death-like experience. Wow. I said, if you said, well, you really did it, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I mean... I'm alive now, and I had enough to kill numerous people. The doctor named six or seven complications. The following year, when I came back to visit him, he was telling the doctor, I had this, it was fatal, I had this, it was fatal. I mean, there's no reason that I should be alive in the natural. There's no reason I should be walking when the nerves in both fronts of my legs were dead. The neurologist tested them, they were dead. Feet hung down like this. There's no reason I could see after five and a half years. 
But the biggest thing is the person I, I was born again. I never heard of that. And that God's spirit was in me. I never heard of that. And I mean, I heard those words, but I never was incapable of any kind of experience or understanding of what it was, what those things were like. Yeah. My desires were just different. I was totally, everything I saw, I remember a doctor being, being uh, angry with a nurse because she didn't have something organized. And he was yelling at her. I felt bad for both of them. Yeah. I didn't just came up as that nurse, you dirty rat. You should, I felt like, oh, that's terrible for her. He shouldn't be, I felt compassion for both of them. Yeah. You know, because it's just, and that isn't normal for me. I mean, I'd want to punch the guy out, you know, did it? A little, a little fly came and landed on my little safety bars. And I was like, oh, the light goes through your wings. It makes such pretty colors. You come visit me. I'd, I'd normally smack to get out of here, you know, you bug, you know. I just loved it. It was stupid love. I just had it for everybody and everything. And this is unnatural. Right. Scriptures right. tell us, Peter writes, that we have become partakers of his divine nature. That sounds hyper spiritual. But there's instances, there's some dramatic ones when you know it has nothing to do with you. It's way beyond your ability. I got I got baptized in love once in a prison. I think maybe you've read about it. Prison where they, uh, yeah. I wasn't in prison. I, fortunately, I never got caught. But uh, I wound up ministering where they made the movie Shawshank Redemption. I went in there for five or six years, brought a rock band in there and we preached. But love came on me. I loved every person in there. It's abnormal. These people are unlovable, most, some of them. That's how God feels about them, but it doesn't do them any good unless they can respond to that love. And so, you know, that's unnatural. I was, I've been a, a partaker of his divine nature and whether people know it or not, when you do anything that involves God himself, you're co-laboring with him. That's supernatural. Yeah. Those are the things that I really like. It's amazing. And yeah. it can happen. You don't have to go through an airplane crash. You don't have to be a drug addict. You don't have to be in prison. You don't have to get divorced. You could just be a person who doesn't know God at all or doesn't know God enough. And there's more that you can experience and be able to do here on this earth. So yeah. what else? Awesome. Um, so the other kind yeah. of question I had about um, kind of your time in the hospital, uh, how long do you uh, think you were outside of your body? Again, it's interesting. Might as well have been a million years because I was in eternity. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and your experience of it, I'm sure. So I, I don't know, and it's not recorded. I don't know, and it's not recorded. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that God could show me six and, you know, almost six and a half years of the future, all the, all, moment by moment. He could do that at lightning speed if he wanted to, you know. Right, yeah. And he could, you could experience eternity. But see, I was... I was apart from my, but I think I was still somehow attached to my physical body, but I was out of the physical realm. I was in a spiritual dimension too. Paul himself talks about, it. he said, I know of a man, he's talking about himself like he's the third person who 14 years ago went to the third heaven. It's possible, some people think, and I think it's, it's very probable that when Paul was presumably stoned to death, do you remember that story in the book mm -hmm. of Acts? He was stoned yeah, to uh, death. You're talking about a... Uh... And, the, and his disciples got around him and they prayed for him. And he came back to life, whether he was smothered to death or had a near death experience. He was in the third heaven. He says, I saw things that were unspeakable, whether or not that means he wasn't supposed to tell people about him or there's not words. to just, We don't have words that adequately describe it. Even John in heaven says it's like Jasper. You know, it's stuff. It's made out of different stuff, 
and everything's different. So when you ask about time, I really don't know how long that was. Uh, it was long enough to permanently change me. Now, I believe this. When I was in that ambulance on the way to that first hospital, and I said, God, help me. I believe that God heard anybody who calls upon the Lord shall be saved. I didn't know about the sinner's prayer. I didn't know about salvation. Everything I knew about is what I heard was very natural. But I was calling out to God, and I knew I was in trouble, and I knew I needed his help. Yeah. And here I am. I could tell you the results, or here I am. Yeah. I was, uh, whatever the period of time was from the time of the accident to when it digressed in intensive care to where I had this near-death experience. And then those probably almost three months after that, I remember on Christmas Eve, I, was, uh, I watched the Apollo 8 moon launch. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. The astronauts that first went around the moon and uh, everybody's watching, you know, they had a television, the whole world's watching it and they didn't know, are they gonna be able to go around it? Will they crash into it or skip up? No, no one knew for sure when they came back around the other side. They started reading from the book of Genesis in the beginning, God. And when they got about to 10 verse, I burst out crying. It wasn't because I was sorry. And it wasn't because I was afraid. It was because hope rose in me. The Holy Spirit, when the word of God was read, they could, what they did was scientifically and aeronautics and everything else was, was miraculous. There was something miraculous happening inside me. And it was living hope. They could do that. I'm going to walk again. I'm going to jump out of airplanes again. <laughs> I'm going to get married and have kids. I'm going to be alive. And, and, and I just started crying because hope is a, is a living expectation that God is going to do something. Hope is a living hope. Hope comes from the person. I literally, when people say, I give up, it's hopeless. I actually was in the natural hopeless. I was someone who was hopeless. Yeah. Even after that, there wasn't much hope for me to have any kind of a productive life. You know, with all my injuries and disfigurement, what, you know, what, what am I going to be able to do? Who am I ever going to be able to know? And, and again, I, I, it's not that if you're not, if you're, if you're not married, you're not full of me. I was called to be married. I think a lot of people are, and you, I know that you're married and you got, is it two kids? Uh, one daughter. One daughter. And that's shockingly amazing, isn't it? No, of course. Yeah. This to love, to have love come to you and to be able to share that love. And again, so there's lots of things I can be thankful. Did I have problems? You bet I had problems. I experienced spiritual warfare, uh, emotional problems, physical problems, but I've over, so much has been overcome because of God and so much and just obey the Lord in little things. And sometimes they're really big things. And what he's, it caused me to do, I mean, like I said, I, I never thought I'd quote be in ministry. Or be, I just happened to be alive and, and happy to be around, you know, this was all new to me at the beginning. Yeah. Going to a living church where people, they're there because they love God and all that. I didn't know that stuff existed. Yeah. Worship Lord, the word, gifts of the spirit, other people. And then to go to other countries and, and experience. Yeah, there's a lot of differences, but there's a lot of things that are the same. The love of God is the same person in every country. Jesus isn't limited to culture or language. The word of God is true. Whether you sing it, hear it preached pray it, have somebody else pray for you, it really works. It's really alive. And it happens in any culture, any economic group, any, he's not limited. Matter of fact, there's so much more that God wants to experience right here, right now. now I believe that we're in a time right now, what the world needs now is a declaration 
of the true message of the kingdom and a demonstration of the kingdom. Jesus sometimes demonstrated, he would heal somebody and then he would describe it or he would declare something and then he would do something. He himself, he is the model for everything spiritual, everything supernatural and everything. He is the exact, it says, reputation of the invisible God. If you now wanna know what God is like, look unto Jesus. Listen to his words Amen. and see what he does. Um, yeah, so I, I, I love that you, you, you um, described your experience in that, uh, in that ambulance uh, as that declaration of faith. You know, it doesn't have to be anything fancy to, you know, you at that moment, you put your life in the Lord's hands and, and you, you put your faith in him. And that, that, that was a moment uh, you were fully trusting uh, in, in him to save you. So uh, that's beautiful. Um, so um, let me, let me ask you one more question. Um, and this kind of relates to your, to your book, you know, uh, I encourage everyone to, why don't, why don't we start there? Um, you've written two books, one that just came out uh, last year. Uh, your first uh, really kind of gives all the details uh, of your testimony. Um, and then the second one, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it uh, and what inspired you to write it? Talk about supernatural courage? Yes. Okay. I was actually uh, the uh, acquisition editor at Chosen Books, which is uh, they're, they're a division of Baker Books, which is a really cool Christian publishing company. They asked me to write this some maybe two years ago. So we agreed to do it. I began to work on it. And uh, then we had some issues with our oldest son who has special needs. We had a real stressful thing with him. And then in August of 2019, my wife was diagnosed with stage four cancer. You probably read that. And maybe if you read the introduction or something like that. And a year and a half of prayer and of supernatural, she's completely healed. So I'm writing this thing while I'm under pressure. And there's 11 chapters about supernatural courage. The first one is courage to be humble. Uh, the second one is courage, courage to follow, which is a different kind of courage than just making a decision. It's it's following Jesus. The third one's courage to be humble. And then it's courage to fight, courage to strengthen yourself, courage to persevere, courage to use spiritual gifts, courage to succeed, courage to forgive, courage to love, and courage to go the distance. There's 11 chapters all about supernatural courage. The courage it takes to be spiritual is pretty much unlike the courage that we have in the natural. It's almost like it's an entity. What we're good at sometimes can be an enemy. You know, it's like, and you, well, God use our natural abilities as he cleans them up, sanctifies them, empowers them. But it, he doesn't usually call us to what we can do. He calls us to what we can't do without him. You know, so, I mean, Moses had a pretty hard assignment. <laughs> you're going to go to the world superpower, Pharaoh, who's used slaves for 425 years. And you're going to tell him with a stick in your hand, okay, guess what? Let all these people go. The source of your free labor, <laughs> so you gotta let them go. He's like, and how's that, how's that, how would you like that assignment? You know, this, this is what I want you to do. How, you, how am I gonna do this? And then he showed him a couple of miraculous things and he did 10 things and did it. Then Jesus has an assignment for us. He said, greater things you'll do because I go to the Father. Now, it's not just that we have electronics or we can be doing this. I really think literally he means greater healings, greater miracles, all kinds of stuff. We're gonna see, we see, amazing supernatural things, average people doing them. We need everybody 
doing something. And I think the more that we realize how needy we are, and we do have to have this work of the Holy Spirit that produces this spiritual bravery, this confidence to do it. And it's hard to know in advance you got to do something. Sometimes when something happens spontaneously, you just have to react in the spirit. That happens sometimes. When you have to think about it ahead of time, and all kinds of excuses can come in, but when you do it in God, you really feel it's victorious. So um, questions relative to that about the book. It takes a courage to hope. Again, I was someone really scientifically was hopeless. But I expected, I started to expect things. I don't know why. I didn't have anybody to teach me. Nobody, I didn't know anything about healing. I didn't know anything about restoration. I didn't know anything about the gifts of the spirit, but they were beginning to work. So, and then courage to follow for your whole life. The scripture says, as you received him, so walk in him. Did I or anybody else receive him because we were good enough? Did we receive him because we knew we earned it? No, we were desperately say, God, I'm sorry. I need to be, I need you. And then he forgives us. He, he, he cleans us. He empowers us with new life. But then to walk with him all of our life, we have to have courage to follow him, especially when the whole world's going a different way. Your friends let you down. Things happen, and you still are going to walk with Jesus. It takes another kind of courage to continue to go, to go all the way with Jesus, to put everything in, and then to walk with him. It, this, in, this, in the same way we received him, we walk in. It says, walk in the light as he is in the light. It's, it's, it's simple language, and it's serious life stuff, but when you walk in the light, he shows you where you're going. Amen. It said, his word is a lamp. I'm sure that if I asked you some questions, you'd give me all kinds of answers. What was it like when you really got serious with the Lord? How did that, what were you there? And then something happened and then it changed and you went this way. I could ask you that. And it, it, we all have points. It's what I was, I want to develop what I call chronic obedience. That means every little thing the Holy Spirit has us do, we just do. And that becomes normal. It's not always a tug of war. Well, I want to do this. And I do this. It's not. It becomes a nature, a nature thing. Our new nature likes the stuff of God. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's not just the promise of heaven. That's that's very important, obviously. But it's we're here on earth. We're just not being miserable until it's time to go to heaven. We should enjoy this life in the way the Lord wants us to. Yeah. Yeah. So um your book has all these examples of, of stories of your own and people you know that displayed this incredible courage. Um, and, uh, you know, I think another example you used a couple times in the book was uh, Gideon going into battle with 300. And I think of, you know, Joshua marching around the walls of Jericho, you know, so um, one of the things that really stood out to me in your, in your book, uh, you, you mentioned that you were in the hospital and your hand was basically, uh, there was, an operation that was going to be done the next day. And, um, you stayed up all night praying, uh, for your, for healing, for your hand. Um, tell us a little bit about that. And, and where did you, you know, find that, that courage, uh, in, in that, that kind of faith to, to pray that way? Well, first of all, my right hand was so severely burned. It, if you can see this, it, it was all retracted and it looked like this. The severe burns causes your tendons to retract and all that. And so it was all, my fingers were all amputated, barely were anything sticking out in my thumb. And it wasn't, it wasn't useful at all 
in a gripping way as a hand. And so what they did is they, and this is about a year later, so they, they incised or cut all the scar tissue, all the skin, scar tissue off of my right hand. And they cut a pouch here in my side, the skin, the fatty tissue right down uh, to the muscle level and put it in here and sewed this in here like this yeah. for six weeks until blood supply would come from here. Then they cut it out and they made like a little boxing glove. And then they, uh, then what they were going to have to do was cut out and separate, you know, I'll just show you a close up, in between the metacarpal bones down here below where this was the top where your finger bends like this, and to make little finger stubs here and, and move this skin around to make it so it'd be a usable grip. So they did that operation, bandaged all up, and the main re reconstructive plastic surgeon went out of the country for a seminar, and the second string guy who was a, a plastic surgeon was gonna change the dressing. And when he did, he took the bandage off, he said, oh no, that's, you don't wanna hear that. All of this skin was dead all around here and it smelled like a dead animal on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm so sorry. He said, we lost this one. And the tissue, in other words, there wasn't enough blood supply and the tissue all around here was black and uh, necrotic, dead tissue all around here. And he was gonna, he says, he wrapped it back. He says, I'm gonna come in tomorrow and we're just gonna have to cut that all off. And so I, I didn't know anything about, I, I know, and, and it should have been enough for my scientific background to know that that my arteries and blood vessels have coagulated blood in them. They're plugged. So I said, give me six or seven pillows and put them up there. And I put my hand, my bandage hand up there and I stared at it. And I spoke commanding blood to go into my hand all night long. I didn't know why. No one told me how to do that. So the next day the guy comes in, he sets up a little green, that green sterile stuff and gets out his little stabbers and cutters, takes the bandage off and he goes, oh my God. The hand was completely pink and healed. There wasn't even scabs on it. He went up against the wall and almost slid down. He was scared and stunned. I've never had another operation on this hand. Yeah, wow. That was late fall of 1969. Wow, that's incredible. And so life is, in it. so the, and I didn't know this stuff. I mean, sometimes ignorant is bliss. I mean, compared to what God knows, every little bit we know is like we get a, a, a tablespoon of truth in our whole life out of an endless ocean of God's wisdom and knowledge. But all we need is the name of Jesus and childlike faith, and he can change things. Now, I, I don't have the answer why some people get healed and some people don't. But I know is that God can do anything, and he wants to do everything that we need. We live in a broken world now. So that's, do you get that? So that's how that happened. First, it was pretty successful to take it that far. You know, it'd be nice to grow new fingers and everything and to have it sewn in there for six weeks, you know, 24 hours a day for six weeks. I have the longest running Napoleon impersonation round the clock of anybody. I've run around like this, you know, in the hospital for six weeks like that. And it was a big operation and it was a failure in the natural. But the next day, God did something in this broken body. It's wow. incredible. Um, Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it does if you have the right perspective. Yeah. Um, well, you know that it didn't have a whole lot to do with me. And the doctor knew it didn't have hardly anything to do with them. Yeah. But they were witnesses of it. Yeah. Yeah. They were happy about it. Believe me. They were.
Yeah, that's awesome. Um, encouragement is one of the, the gifts of the spirits, often overshadowed by gifts like uh, tongues and prophecy. And all, all throughout the book, you mentioned certain people uh, you know, encouraging, speaking life to you just at the right moments. Uh, so how important was encouragement in your recovery and how can Christians in- encourage each other today? Jesus says in John chapter six, my words are spirit and life. The flesh profits nothing. The natural doesn't increase in what really counts. So in other words, when Jesus' words would come out, they are spirit. And when they hit you, they explode and penetrate and they produce life. Well, with with, with redeemed believers full of the spirit, our words can be spirit in life. That's why it's good to be singing. It's good to be reading. It's good to be praying. It's good just to speak life to one another. It's not just the power of positive thinking. This is redemptive, regenerative stuff. Jesus talked to a woman at the well. He wasn't even supposed to be talking to this woman. And she begins to interact with him. She's a, Jesus says, give me a drink. I really think he was asking her for water because it was hot. Yeah. There in Samaria at that time of year, it was July or August. And the disciples had gone away to get food. He, he wanted water. And she says, how is it you being a Jew could talk to me? He says, if you knew who I was, and the gift I have, you'd ask me for a drink, and I'd give you living waters. Give me some of that water. I have to do this woman's job, come down with these heavy pots all day. And he goes, go get your husband. She says, well, I have no husband. He says, yeah, you answered correctly. He says, you've had five husbands, and the dude you're living with now, you're not even married to. She goes, I perceive you're a prophet. Then she begins to talk. She begins to speak about her redemptive knowledge, being a person who's not who's not going to be allowed to be in the, the Jewish kingdom of God, according to the covenant rules and all that. She says, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. He says, the person you're talking to, I am him. He gives her the most precise, accurate description of who he is. A person is not even supposed to listen. But when he started talking to her about living water, he was speaking to her about life. And she said, I want some. When people, when you say something spiritually encouraging with life words in it, and people respond, there begins to be, begin a living connection. And as you, as people speak to one and say, you know, I need what you got. Well, let me tell you, and you can share a testimony, you can share a scripture. Like I share other people's stories. These are real people that I know. Like you talked about Keith. He's a real person. Anybody that goes back and remember to watch reruns or something, this is a guy. He had these experiences. He, he has a book called Life After Lucy. I mean, he's amazing. And, and just to think these things that happen, these are real people that They've done this their whole life now. And I mentioned another person, a, a famous guitar player, a friend of mine, Phil Kagey. He incredible. And we're friends to this day. But I remember him speaking in these big concerts in between songs, talking about Jesus after he was converted. And those words of life, they were life to me. Remember, I was, I was mostly in the hospital. I'd get out on a pass in between operations and I'd go seeking, seeking truth. And I found out truth isn't <clears throat> a new explanation. It's not philosophy. It's not a new app. It's not a new... Truth is a person. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. He will give you guidance. He will teach you. He will comfort you. He'll come alongside you. He'll fight for you. <laughs> All these things. It was not just, well, it's not just a power like, like the force. Truth is a person. And I, I had begun to experience that person. And, and the three pillars of prophecy are edification, that is to build up, 
encouragement and comfort. So one of the three pillars is encouragement. Sometimes it's to persuade. Sometimes it's to, it's to provoke to do something. Sometimes it's to, to warn or prevent, don't do something. But encouragement is life-giving words. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. Sometimes if you're in a good mood, you can run into somebody with a bad mood. It's not hard to tell. It's like, it might seem odd to you because you look at everything and everything, you see possibilities, you see it's good. You don't see, sometimes when a person's in a, in a negative tailspin, everything they see is bad. Yeah, this is going bad, that's going bad, this is going bad, that's going bad. It's like, wait a minute, you're alive. Just take, stop. Take, I'm not saying, see, anybody can have a bad moment that turns into a bad day. But if it's continuous, something needs to break that. And sometimes one word, one living word can snap a person up till they'll stand up in the spirit and they'll start walking away from that negativity or that mindset that keep, makes them feel trapped. Satan is a liar and he wants to make you think that you're a loser when you, know in, when you should know in your heart that you're a child of the king, that you're a son of the living God, that you've been born again and you're called to a purpose. I'm, everybody that is hearing this, I don't care who it is right now, God has a plan for your life and it's for good and not for bad. It's for life-giving things. And it's never too late to start. You can forget what's behind and move on ahead. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Um, another thing uh, I read about in your book is you wrote about, uh, in your chapter on humility, uh, you wrote about false humility. What's the difference between true and false humility? Some people will just say, you know, I'm nothing. I'm a loser, human beings, we're just human and all this stuff. It still can be very self-centered to think of yourself as, as so small or, or rotten or insignificant. It's rather, no, you know, there is, you can call it false humility. It's still self-centered if you're doing that. Instead of someone who has humility but sees God and realizes that, that God's given you opportunities, you know? You take Gideon. I mean, Gideon was scrounging around trying to find some leftover grain there. And he says, oh, mighty warriors, looking behind him, saying, who are you talking about? He says, I'm, I'm from the least tribe and all this. But then he, he gives him a sign. He tests God by putting out a fleece. Now it's wet. Now it's dry. And then he's another thing. And it said, when the word of the Lord came on him, it said, God clothed himself with Gideon. It's like, all of a sudden, the word came on him, and he had a spiritual revelation. It's like, this is the hand of God, and you're a glove. God clothes you with himself. That's what we're like. You know, we still, I still have a body, I still have a mind, I still have a memory, but with God inside me and God energizing me, I am more than a mere man. So as long as I'm still looking at myself, whether I think I'm the greatest guy in the world or that I'm a crummy, I'm not worth anything, don't think, you know, I, I'm no value, it's only God, only, that's still self-centered. But when you think I'm connected to God and God has a purpose, our focus is on God and, it's, and, and, and the time frame that we're in there's opportunities for us to radiate God. Isaiah 60 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is upon you. He says, Darkness, even deep darkness, will cover the earth, but people are going to come to you because you're going to shine with the light of God radiating. And that's, that's what happens to believers when they're not self-centered. They have the joy of the Lord, the joy of their salvation. They've got possibility thinking. They've got realizes. You know, God put me here for a reason. And I run into people. I have too many thousands of supernatural 
setups. That means when I volunteered for God hundreds of times, here I'm using me any way you want to. He remembers that and he uses that. Sometimes when I least expect it, bring someone in my path that has been a preparation and bam, it happens. And so I'm not focusing on me and my weaknesses. I never did this before. I'm not focusing on them and the mess that they're in. Our, my focus is on when you share Jesus with someone, you build a bridge with them, in them, that they can, that Jesus can walk on, and they can walk and meet Jesus on that. That's not being self-centered. It's yourself taking your connection with Jesus, and and tr and it it becomes living words to somebody. They know. I don't know what you got, but what you got is is good, and I want it. And then they can be receptive. Does that make sense? So false humility is like, I'm no good. I'm not worth it. That's still self-centered because yeah. you're looking at your limitations or your failures. Yeah. So either way, you, you really need to be dependent on God. We don't need to be thinking too much of ourselves or too literal self. We need to just be dependent on him. What do you think it was like for Peter after he failed at the very thing he would never do? Yeah. He was the most committed, the most outspoken about Jesus, and he denied him. Even after the resurrection, after he saw him, he said, I'm going, I'm going to go back to be a fisherman. Because Jesus said, he says, tell the disciples and Peter. He didn't even think he was worthy to be called a disciple. So he did a similar miracle than when he called them with the first catch of fish. He did it again. They fished all night. This is after the resurrection. And someone's walking on the beach and says, children, how's the fishing? Horrible. We fished all night. There's not even one trying to commit suicide getting in this net. We can't. He says, throw it on the right side of the boat. They pull up 153 large fish. And John says, it's the Lord. Now, Peter, now remember, he was, I think, being self-centered again. He said, like, Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. But I failed so bad. I'm just going to go back and be a fisherman. Jesus Didn't Jesus say, come with me. I'm going to make you fishermen. That was three and a half years before that. He, Peter walked on water. Peter prophesied to the Lord. But then Peter failed really bad. He walks with him. He says, Peter, do you love me? I really love you. You're the most fascinating, amazing, it's out of control. He says, feed my sheep. But a little farther, he says, Peter, do me more than these other guys? He goes, yes, 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 yes. I really love you. And he asked him a third time. This time it says he's grieved. He said, basically, Peter's saying, you knew everything about me, and you know everything about me. And I, you are awesome. He denied him three times. He gave him an opportunity three times to declare in spite of his weakness, in spite of his self-centeredness, that his love, his perception of who Jesus really is caused Jesus to give grace. And then on the day of Pentecost, he preaches his first public message and 3,000 people. He became a fisher of men and he continued, and he's continuing to this day. If we quote him, if we tell a story about him, he's still a fisher of men. We're so could you see how he got self a person who had a pretty good resume with Jesus when he walked with him, mm -hmm. but he fell so hard, he still looked at his failure. If there's anybody listening to this, and there's something that you have done over and over again, or something that you try to get rid of, don't give up. Go to the Lord, go to somebody in the Lord, and bust down a wall that's blocking you. Remove stones that are in your path. 
take off heavy weights that are holding you down. God can break loose any bondage, any habit, any mindset. We live in a world right now that we're being bombarded with either tempting information or fatalistic information or false information about life. Life is about Jesus, his testimony, and his promises to you. Everything, John the Baptist didn't do one miracle, but everything he said about Jesus was true. He was the hinge of history between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament and the power of the Holy Spirit it changes individual lives, changes groups of people, and it can change you right now. Just ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the doors will be open to you. Incredible. Um, you write about fasting in your book. What has been your experience with fasting? Well, I found out that I really like it. I got so much, I liked it so much, I think I had to slow down doing it. Um, fasting is, is, a, is a spiritual principle, like even other beliefs do it. And it's not, you don't do it to earn something. Uh, and I think there's, to me, in my opinion, there's two kinds of fast. There's a call fast where God calls us either as an individual or a group of people on a fa to fast, or you can volunteer to do it. You can do it because it's part of your spiritual life. And I lived kind of a fasted life. Usually I do three to five days in a month. Some people fast one day a week. Some people go on a X amount of days fast and all that. And, uh, and you get spiritually sharp. Daniel, you know, did his fast for 21 days. Uh, it was a limited kind of only raw fruits and vegetables only. And he got shinier, smarter, brighter, more spiritual. And that's a, a, a Daniel's fast, uh, those 21 days of, of just limited, no meat, no sweet, no no, uh, you know, fine food and all that. That's he was he did that and he had tremendous results. So there's different types of fasting. You can fast for one days. So, uh, Esther fast, no food and water. Uh, Paul, after he had his uh, encounter in the Damascus Road, he went without food and water. He was too stunned maybe to not eat. And uh, and so there's there's even a total fast, no food, no water for three days. I I'll just say that happened to me a couple of times. Uh, I was one time was so full of need and anxiety that I, I went without eating or drinking for three days. It's pretty severe. A person needs to know what they're doing. Uh, anybody can fast a little bit. Anybody can fast one day, believe me, especially here in the Western world. And it's, um, if you look at the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, it was normal for them to fast. It's part of a spiritual uh, principle where you, you make more room for God. People tease me because I start fasting. I go out and buy groceries for everybody. I think of vicariously. So oh, this looks good and I'm not eating it. And uh, I actually, I could just say this, uh, with the grace of God, I don't know why I actually enjoyed fasting. And again, it, it helps if you know what you're doing and be around people. There's all kinds of materials you can look up. Uh, Christians that have testimonies or, or stories about fasting. It really does make more room for God. That's great. Um, so you, you, you write about finding joy in quiet times or daily devotions. Uh, how do you do that rather than seeing it as a chore? Well, it really helps when you find that you like this stuff. I like to get up early. I like, there's a couple ways and I have quiet time. I'm just going to be by myself in the Lord and I just have quiet. I can, I love to look at the scripture. I like to pray. Um, I play guitar. I mean, I, 
live here in the Nashville area, so I'm around the greatest musicians in the world. I play good enough that I can enjoy myself and sing to the Lord and do stuff. Um, that helps. Um, I, I think in the beginning, especially when I didn't know anybody, I didn't know about living churches, I would just go out and walk. And I realized that I was communing with God without an agenda. I wasn't like, okay, I want to get an answer. I want to do something. I just was out there. And I still really, sometimes I have great wonder. Uh, Barbara and I bought this little little, little farmhouse in this barn land. We got horses. She always wanted a horse. So she goes, I got a horse. That horse became my prayer partner. I just go ride and let her walk. And I would just, it was the most energizingly spiritual thing is just to be with, with the Lord, alone with the Lord, with no agenda. <laughs> and you really get off, you really like that. Um, I like, um, I just, and of course, music is a big help to us. We got some great songs, either instrumental or songs with words in them that you can just listen and soak in them, turn them on, turn off, and you just see the spirit will start flowing in you and you'll be getting your own words. Yeah, that's great. Um, you write about a healing Can I answer that enough for you? No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that was great. Uh, you write about a healing conference uh, in your book where nearly 50 people uh, were healed instantly. Uh, what do you say to those who are hardened by scammers uh, that have been exposed? Well, I'll just say this. I know more, far more of the real people than I do with the scammers. Okay. And fortunately, I don't really don't have a personal relationship with any, any of the scammers. It scared me to death to think I would want to fake something in the Lord, you know, or lead somebody astray in the Lord. Like I said, I like to build a bridge where they have a personal encounter. And I find out that a lot of my personal testimony or my personal experiences help people to connect in faith. And it's them and God because of something that got triggered from me. <clears throat> but it isn't me by myself. And it's not me with some slick skill <clears throat> to talk him into it. It's not trickery. When there's something real happens, you can tell by the fruit. And so if people have been hurt, cheated, I really regret that. And there have been some smart people, educated people, lawyers and all that, that have been ripped off by scammers, not only in healing, but in you know certain other like Christian business stuff or whatever. And I that's horrific. And I would never want to do that, but I would say look unto Jesus. Uh, don't be so suspicious that you won't trust anybody. A person like that that's been hurt, they have a hard time ever trusting anything or anybody. Unfortunately, the Lord's the one that we can only completely trust. Yeah. Because of people, sometimes uh, that gets maligned. You know, even good friends and good Christians can screw up and do bad things. I'm talking about they can do things to other people. Yeah. And again, a lot of it is uh, when people do it willingly or worse, maliciously, that's some deep trouble. And I don't want anything to do with that. And I, I would get pretty defensive. And that's why I try and be real with people. I think that's some of what people that have experienced, Barbara and I, and, and some most people are with says, you guys are real people. You're down to, down to earth doesn't mean that we're totally plain. Down to earth means like, we don't have a pretense. I mean, the real stuff is spectacular enough. Yeah. I don't need to hype up God yeah, to have to be who he really is. I just need to tell the simple truth and let them experience him on his own.
Again, I, it, it's a serious thing that you said. What do you do about people who've been scammed or people who've been led astray? Now, there's something, I will say this qualified. There are people that have a genuine gifts of God, but have had character difficulties where they've had a fall or have they done certain things. Unfortunately, it doesn't, it doesn't make the gift fake that makes them weak and chronic and unchangeable and they didn't change in a certain area. Like I said, Peter had a pretty good scorecard until he denied Jesus and it was so bad for, but, but he repented. And then he had like 30 years of walking with the Lord. Yeah. You know, especially after Pentecost where he led a lot of people and is still leading people to this day, mostly from his writings. And so the writings that actually John Mark wrote about him, the eyewitness accounts of certain things and his two epistles. So I say, you know, see, Peter had a pretty bad fall. Would you agree? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Judas had a really bad one. Yeah. And, and there's people throughout history, but there are people, there's people in my life here that I've known for decades that they're not perfect, but they're walking in the fear of the Lord and in the love of God. And whatever their gifts are, they've really affected themselves and people. I know too many people that aren't like that. I say I know all kinds of people that are for real. Yeah, yeah, just about being able to you know, separate the you know, fallen man between, between God. Um, you know, there's a there's a, there's an there's an aspect of the enemy that is called the accuser of the brethren. Right. He could say true things about people, but it's to accuse, and it's not to be redemptive. I I could see something if the Lord shows me something that's a flaw or a mistake or a sin in some person. It's and if the person sees something, is because God wants them to to escape that, to break that. But the accuser wants to drive you in a corner and make you quit, make you a failure, make you do stupid things to try and fix it. You know, the accuser of the brethren. And that's what sometimes happens to people because of the failings of human beings that are, yeah. that are brothers and sisters or so-called brothers and sisters. Yeah. What do you say to those that uh, God has chosen not to heal? I don't have an answer. I have a 45-year-old son who's in a wheelchair. And we've been praying for him and we'll never stop praying for him. He's full of the Holy Ghost. He loves stuff. He likes to do stuff. He has suffered tremendously. And so we and our family. And there's all kinds, I know all kinds of people that have been healed. And I know people that have not got healed. Uh, and so what do I say to them? Keep seeking the Lord. You can ask God, what can you do? Is he, instead of asking, is this happening because I didn't pray enough? Is this because I sinned when I was a kid? Is this because I just did something wrong? Instead of asking the whys, ask who can help you? Jesus is the who. They can give you the answer or give you the power and introduce you to steps to take to get better. Now, I'm, you know, My wife just got healed of cancer. And all the reminders of that are present. Is, is cancer ever going to come back? It has in some people, but it's not today. I, I hate sickness, and especially something as, as, as so vicious as can, any kind of abnormality. The scripture says that we are getting in on, 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 on spiritual forces of the age to come. Jesus is a futurist, right? I mean... Yeah. He's a futurist about eternal life and about heaven, but he's also, he, 
we're ministering with things from the age to come. So we are in the kingdom, and yet it's still coming. There's an increase of the kingdom. And so I look to the day when, you know, large portions are completely, hospitals are emptied. Or people that, like my son, there was a, there was a person, actually it's recorded in the book of Acts, when uh, Paul was traveling, and he was in between, John, no, wait a minute. There was a person who was paralyzed and in bed for eight years. No, and it was, it was, uh, it was Peter. It's before he went to Cornelius's house. He went and prayed for this person who was in bed paralyzed for eight years. And I'm sure that Paul wasn't the first person that prayed for that person. Why it took eight years, I'm clueless. All I know is, he prayed for that person. He was, you think he was on kind of a high, a spiritual high. And then, no, this was Peter. Did I say Paul? It, it was, it was, it was Peter. And he's on a rooftop at lunchtime and he, he had been fasting and he had a vision of this sheet coming down and says, kill and eat. And there were all these unclean things. He has to rewind. It goes back up. It comes down a second time, rewind, third time. And people are knocking at the door. People that came from Cornelius, this is an Italian military guy. We had an angel appear and says, "Go here's the address of this guy. Have him come and he, he wants to tell you stuff about the kingdom." It's like he's, he's wondering, "What is this all about?" And then he gets there. He's telling them the testimony about Jesus and about their experience. And before they even answer an altar call, they had been praying and fasting and giving money to something they couldn't get on. The Holy Spirit falls on them. And they speak in tongues and prophesy. And so Peter is is kind of like on a spiritual high, but he didn't understand what was going on. Why? How could that person lay in bed for eight years? I don't know. That's a long time. There, you know, there are people that have been gone up for prayer so many times. They have so much oil put on, they could do an oil change in their car. However, there's no one ever tells you to, you know, no one's telling people to stop. Right. Yeah. And I don't know that anybody has all, anybody has a perfect formula. I know Jesus is the perfect theology. He's the perfect picture of beliefs of what you believe in who god is and how stuff happens because of his redeeming love it's a good question it's a hard question uh nobody can really answer it except the lord himself i want to see the lord do more things yeah, yeah. You know? um so one of the most touching stories in the book uh this like, almost brought me to tears and i hope i don't mess up his name was uh the story you shared about richard uh, warmbrand um can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I always appreciated the ministry of, of CBN Christian Broadcasting Network, which is, is founded by uh, Pat Robertson, who's in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And I was asked to be the speaker at a worship conference on that campus. So I was really excited to go. And I got to have all these artistic people. They were dancers and drama people and musicians and all. They were all really worshipers. And I was doing a message that Friday night called Sacrifice and the Release of Power. And I am preaching really good. And I give the all recall. People are on their face and they're all going, oh, God, we want to be real and all that stuff. And I noticed it was this old man that got up twice from the front row and walked out in the hall. And I didn't pay much attention. I noticed because, you know, it was, it was a big hall and it was maybe a couple hundred, maybe 300 people. I just wondered. So I went up and I was thanking the people who were saying stuff to me when I got done. I went over and wanted to meet this old man and his wife that was sitting there. And I, I says, hi, I said, hi, my name is Mickey. He says, who are, you know, I, I knew he wasn't part of the people attending this, these artists and worshipers, you know. 
He was Richard Wormbrand, a man who wrote a book called Torture for Christ. He was in prison for 14 years for not denying Jesus, beaten almost daily. I said, oh my God, I just did a message called Sacrifice and the Release of Power by a man who was in prison for refusing to deny Jesus. I said, I'm so, I said look, I'm supposed to preach tomorrow at nine o'clock in the morning. Please don't let me do it. Would you please speak tomorrow morning? He was there teaching at Regent University Graduate School. He and his wife, Sabina, who was also in prison. He didn't know if she was dead or alive. He didn't know if she'd been raped every day. And the faces glowed like they were angels. He got up and he says, my little children. So I can say that because I'm four times older than a few of you people out there. I can also say that because every day for 14 years, I prayed for revival in America. And now I'm looking at it. It's like, you think he had everybody's attention? <laughs> he sat there in his chair. And at the end... He stood up and had me hold him on one side and my friend, Mikhail, uh, who's in Israel right now, hold him on the other so he could dance before the Lord on his ankles that were calcified together being broken so many times. <laughs> I mean, people were leveled and clean. So I was walking him and his wife back to their hotel room and he stopped me and he said, you know, Mickey, the only reason I survived all of that is every day I would stand up and with the chains I was chained with, I'd make music with him and I would dance before the Lord. And this man loved the people that killed his family and led that person to the Lord in the house where his family were slaughtered. That's Christ-like love. I describe in there where it says, love God, you know, Jesus does the great commandments. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. The only neighbor he had was the guy who came in there and said, deny Jesus and I won't beat you. And he says, I can't do that. And he would beat him. And he says, I want you to know that I love you and the Lord Jesus I serve love you. He says, quit saying that. That's why that guy got converted. Unbelievable. This, Incredible. And this guy survived all of that, came to this country, lives in the joy of the Lord, he and his wife, they lived to be like 85 years old. They died like four or five months apart. They have taken, that's not, that's supernatural love, but that's the same love. You say, well, that, and Jesus was like that. And we're just regular humans. Well, the first martyr in Acts chapter six and seven is testifying and they stone him to death. And he sees, he says, I see heavens open and Jesus standing. And then they're stoning him. And they weren't throwing rocks like little baseballs. They're taking stones, crushing a person, smothering them. As he was dying, he said, Lord, don't lay this sin at their charge. Don't blame them for this. He had the same kind of forgiveness. Jesus said that, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. This man, Richard Wormbrand, had that same kind of love and forgiveness. It's very unnatural. Supernatural. Very supernatural. Absolutely. But and I I'm not, I don't want to suffer anymore for Jesus and all. But there are people that have lived all of their life in in prison like situations because of the Lord. There are people that face terrible things. There are people that they have no natural reason to be thankful, but they're thankful because they've got eternal life and they've experienced the Lord. This man, this is a real person that I saw. There's another guy in there, the one about perseverance. He's alive today and still ministering. Rymar is in chapter six. He lived through four concentration type camps. Four. 
One place was completely bombed and he was the only survivor crawled out of this rubble and lived. He has so much joy. It's like, these are real people. <laughs> he was in a room, 13 people for two years. The only, that's all the clothes they had on. Sometimes the only food they got was bread that was green with mold on it. His mother says, you should be thankful. For, why am I being thankful? There's nothing here. He goes, be thankful. You're alive and you can still walk around. His mother taught him Thanksgiving. His father and one of his sisters died in there. Like, he's so full of love. It's like, okay. Okay. And it's not about the bad stuff. It's about the reality of God. These are real people. Yet it is the courage to love. Did this guy love his enemy? The secret was he didn't see this guy as an enemy. Yeah. He was beating him. Yeah, it's incredible. It's stupid. I mean, it's like, whoa, that can really happen to a person? Well, this guy's story, I think they made a movie about it, Torture for Christ. He's a real person. I met the guy. I saw him. I had heard about him. I certainly didn't expect him to be where I was. Do you think he changed the lives of all what, the 250 people that were there? Young people that, thank God, they'll never have to go to prison, probably. They'll never, but there's any, any of us can be selfish. Any of us could, quote, feel sorry for ourselves. Anybody, it can happen to anybody. Anybody who will remember that saying, I want to have the love that isn't quenched. I want to have a love that isn't limited. I want to have a love that breaks through the stone walls in people's hearts. I want to have a love that's not afraid to share Jesus with somebody who he knows probably it's, it's unpopular to hear that. I want to share, I want to have a love that looks past my perception of their lifestyle, of their problems, and of their sinfulness, and God gets a hold of them. How could God, the Apostle Paul was a terrorist, thinking he was serving God. He was a terrorist. And some guy named Ananias, not the one in Acts chapter 5, he's over there praying, oh Lord, he says, hey, Lord, I'll do anything. He says, oh, there's a guy you're going to meet. His name's Saul of Tarsus, and I want you to go. Here's the address. Go find him. He goes, wait, is this the same guy that's holding cloaks as, as Stephen is being stoned? Is this the same guy that's causing trouble? That's him, but don't worry about it. I, I, I chose him. I got plans for him. The first thing he says when he walks in is Brother Saul. In prayer, hears the voice of God and believes it and goes to this persecutor, this terrorist. And remember, Paul was blinded. And that's when he fasted without water. And it's like scales, something like scales fell from it. Did he get a flash burn from the light? I don't know. For some reason, and he said, Lord, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And he tells him, he tells him his destiny. You're going to speak before Jews and Gentiles and kings and many things you'll suffer before. He tells them stuff that is inconsistent with his life. Don't you think that Ananias could think, this could be a lying spirit talking to me. Yeah. Well, he just believes the voice of the Lord. But look at the results. Look at the results. And Paul shared that testimony, I'm sure, almost every place he went to for the next 30 years. Yeah. That's love. Yeah, wow. See, that's this Richard Wormbrand is a real person that I met. These hands touched him. I listened to him. Weimar Schultz, this guy that I talk about in the book, 
surprise visit with this guy at some little place up in a place called Nashville, Indiana. And I've talked to him. I, I used every, he said, just, I just wrote whatever I wrote in that book. If it's somebody else, it's word for word what they said to me. Real people who don't have nothing to prove except exhibiting the love and the power of God. Yeah. Yeah. I encourage anyone to listen um, to, to get the book. It, it's That's this it's, one here. One, one, one story after another, just really, really incredible. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit, uh, just kind of talk, uh, uh, just want to go in a different direction. Um, so uh, what are some of your favorite m- movies or TV shows? My favorite movie, my three favorite movies, it's funny because I ask people, this is kind of a quiz, is the original Ben-Hur with Charlton Heston. Okay. Really love that one. Uh, and I'll come back and talk about that in a minute. The second one is one called The Man from Snowy River. It's a, it's a, it's made in Australia. It's about a guy. It has a love story in it, but it's an outdoor thing. And it's really got, and there's a sequel to it called Return to Snowy River. The third, third is actually two movies that are sequels to one another. It's the first Rocky and the third Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that. Now, there's other movies that I really like. There's one that came out not too many years ago called Risen, which is a tremendous, it's, it's the story of Jesus through the eyes of an unbelieving Roman centurion. Have you ever heard of that movie? No, I've never heard of it. One word, risen. Look it up. I encourage you. Really good to watch this time of year. There's another one called Woodlawn. It's a true story about two high school football players in Alabama, an Afro-American young guy who plays high school, and he's a superstar when they start integration. So there's racial problems. There's tremendous sports and all this. And the other guy plays number one quarterback in the state of Alabama, they both, and they wound up. And it's, it has in it about the Jesus movement, but it's a really good sports movie and a true story called Woodlawn. One word. Cool. Risen and Woodlawn, and I really like that. There's several other movies I like um, for various reasons, you know. I mean, uh, uh, TV shows, are, there's not much on TV that is very, it's even interesting. It seems kind of cheesy, a lot of TV. Yeah. It's kind of surfacy. You know, I, I, I'm a storyteller, so I like actually good stories. Yeah. Um, and even some some serious ones, like sometimes I like some courtroom stuff or I like some adventure stuff and all that. Uh, obviously, if people liked the movie Gladiator, you know, and actually there's some good themes in there. Um, there's actually there's a whole section that got to edit it out of some of the Christians that were represented in that movie. They show them praying together and different things really? because it was a big movie, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I like inspiring stuff, you know, I say, but I don't think there's much on TV for me that's you know that's in that's that inspiring so um i gotcha i i do like uh human life experiences that are real and whether they show hard things and people rise about or, or creative things all that stuff is so interesting to me i mean there's so much creative ability whether it's in in storytelling of movies or writing or music it's great but there's a lot of stuff that's either just which is not interesting. Not, and then there's some stuff that's just really not good for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to, to, to integrate so much into your being. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, what about uh, music? Oh, well, like I said, I like to play guitar. You know, I, I like uh, a classic rock guy. Uh, I love all kinds of worship music that's out there today. It's a tremendous music people and tremendous lyrics. And anytime, right now, you just have a phone, you can get almost anything. Yeah. So I do like, uh, and I like them around a lot of people that there's a lot, you know, that 
scripture tells us in both Ephesians and Colossians to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Make a melody of one another. There's you can you you can prophesy with an instrument without any words. First Chronicles 25. And people can play music, and then you can you can just sing the scriptures, you know, or you can sing spontaneously. There's a uh, Paul says, I can sing in the spirit, I can sing with understanding. No, I could sing, you know, there's there's psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, um, you know, spiritual, uh, like psalms are like scriptures set to music, or a Christian theme set to music. And then spiritual songs would be like spontaneous music and spontaneous words. Uh, sing to the Lord a new song. That's one that was never sung before. It's, it's yeah. both in the Old Testament, and it's in the New Testament, and it's in heaven. Yeah, that's great. So I, I do. I really like music, and we are very blessed all over the world, right here in the United States of America, with some great and people are sharing and people are learning, and now people are in unity in prayer, and in praise and worship, and in inspirational stuff, and that creates an atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, amen. Uh, what about books? Any favorite books? Well, the Bible is my favorite. No, I'm not. Uh, since I'm like a storyteller, so I like books that have real story in it. Yeah. Um, there's because I'm friends with some current authors. As a friend of mine, I mentioned him in the book Mahesh Chavda. He's a miracle working guy. He wrote his own personal testimony. is amazing. Only love can make a miracle. He's uh, born in uh, Africa, uh, East Indian background. He was like a Hindu, you know, and sovereign experience with Jesus, raised a little boy from dead on my birthday in 1985, a little African boy that was dead, and led a million people to the Lord personally, and seen blind eyes, deaf ears, and all that, and a humble guy, very intelligent, uh, he's written several books, one of them is on fasting, the hidden power of prayer and fasting, and, um, all kinds of, he's, he's, that's, all of his books are good, Bill Johnson is a man that I know from Reading, California, wrote a book, When Heaven Invades Earth, it's, it's very enlightening book, uh, a friend of mine is an author here, James Gall. He's written all kinds of books. The Seer, Prophetic Intercession. He's written so many books. He never wrote a book until he came here. There's a redemptive gift of publishing here. There's, there's lots of books I like, uh, again. And fortunately, I know some of the people. There's, uh, there's one that I read earlier called um, by Reese Howell about intercession. Oh, my goodness. The first 40 pages, if you just read it and go, oh. I should just do this, yeah, you know. And so there, there's, there's, there's books by there was a man named Francis McNutt. He uh, was a former Catholic priest for a long time, and he, one of the best books on healing. Really good, really good, really good. It was the first Christian book I think I ever read way back in the early part of my walk. And right. you know, I'm around a lot of people that there's just there's just a lot of good material. I mean, I, I sometimes when privately hours I'll give you a little list. You see, you might have try these these okay. things the most important thing to do is have your own personal relationship with god and like i said we've got the bible we've got tremendous versions of the bible which everyone works better there's a man i don't know if you heard of the passion translation uh -huh. yeah well he actually brian simmons is a, is a man i know he endorsed my book and it's different but you read it because he was a, a linguistic guy in south america like unreached people he actually knows language and just when you read it and you read two translations together you get kind of a thicker or fuller meaning yeah for sure. that's a great translation and it's relatively new and um i'd recommend that yeah and awesome. all kinds of other things 
like that. All right. So let's let's talk about the Bible then. Uh, do you have a favorite Bible character? Uh, well, David's great. In the New Testament, I'd have to probably go with Peter because <laughs> he seems strong, bold, and vulnerable, and he finished well. Yeah. He went the distance and he finished well. He had highs and lows. And uh, so I can relate to him. Yeah. I really like him. Of course, you to like Paul. Um, one of the most unique would be Mary of Bethany. That uh, was the sister of Lazarus. Her Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had a home. It was just seven miles from Jerusalem, Bethany. And Jesus would go there to get ministered to. He'd go there to eat and be refreshed and... Uh, she ministered to Jesus. She took her, uh, this probably a stone box or a, some kind of container of spikenard ointment, fragrant oil, broke it and poured it on Jesus. And those, in the smell of that fragrance filled the whole house. And, and one of the disciples actually was Judas. He said, well, this could have been sold for like 200, like a year's wages. And he says, you always have the poor with you. What she's done is a good thing. And whenever the gospel's preached, this story will be told. Who else has a promise from Jesus? Yeah. She didn't one miracle. She didn't say anything in that. She didn't say, there are no words are recorded that she said in that incident. She is actually the main character of that experience is Mary. Yeah. Jesus was in a supportive role. Uh, Judas was actually an antagonistic. But the, the words of Jesus are, she, she's ministered to me. She's prepared me for burial. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and so this woman, you know, she Martha hassled Jesus, interrupted him, <laughs> and says, "What? Do something about my sister. Make her do something." You know, and, yeah. and, and she she was so fascinated with Jesus, she just wanted to go and sit there and listen. Everything came out of his mouth. So her personality, if you look at, so about this woman, is so she's such a cool devotee. Yeah, she, what she did here that we talked about. Anytime the gospel's message, who yeah. else gets to have that? She didn't. You don't yeah. say anything about her spiritual gifts. We don't know that she didn't start. She didn't know, there's no colleges uh, named after her. There's, she didn't start a church denomination, but she ministered to Jesus. Woo! Yeah. Pretty good. You know, yeah, I love characters that we can, and these are real people, right? Yeah, that's great. Um, do you have a favorite book of the Bible? <sighs> like the Gospel of John. And I love the book of Hebrews. Didn't say who wrote it. I have opinion. It doesn't really matter. The book of Hebrews is incredible from a literary standpoint. The New Testament is in the Old Testament, hidden, exposed by the writer of Hebrews. And the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. And all of it is incredible. As well, the book of Romans is, if you remember, okay. He's writing, the book of Hebrews is actually designated, written, to, to believing Jews. It's unique that way. These are people that understand the Old Testament, Jewish laws and covenants and fulfillment. The book of Romans is basically written, but the majority of the people were Gentile people in Italy around Rome that are living in danger. They get some of the best theology and all of those chapters, you know, when you go from Romans 1, by the time you get to Romans 8, you're going crazy with all the promises of God. And you go bang, bang, bang. It's like, just, so this is Paul writing to people kind of far away from Jerusalem and Israel, 
that have believed God and he they get the best theology for any Christian, Jew or Gentile. So those you kind of put those you take Hebrews and Romans together and you really get something phenomenal. Any of any of the words of Jesus. Of course, you have Luke, who was a Gentile physician, also wrote a companion letter to the book of Acts. And the only uh, details we have about the birth of Jesus, you know, if we didn't have Luke, we wouldn't have little kids, you know, doing uh, Christmas plays with the Jesus and barn and shepherds and lambs, you know, pretending and all that. But he, inter- as a doctor, he interviewed the he interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mm-hmm. An angel appeared to me. This happened. That happened. He interviewed. So he yeah. does a personal testimony of eyewitnesses. That to me is until when you read that and the book of Acts together, you go, whoa. Okay, there's a span of time and a consistency of God working through people. So that's that perception is enlightening. But as far as like, I think maybe my favorite maybe is the book of Hebrews. Yeah. Now the whole middle is all about music and Psalms and all that. The whole middle of the Bible is singing the word of God and prophecy in the word of God. So, you know. It's all good, but I mean, if you want to feel, I really like Hebrews. It's so brilliant, you know? Yeah. What about yeah. you? What's your favorite? Uh, Genesis would be, if I, you know, if I had to pick a. How did Moses ever write that stuff? <laughs> huh? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty um, amazing. Yeah, so, <coughs> you know, you may have more than one, this may have changed, but do you have a favorite verse? Yep. Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness and all this other stuff will be added to you. Mm. That's my favorite. Obviously, I really like it. And there was an early Jesus song that quoted it. But I know what I was like without that. Yeah. Trying for any, any one of those other things. But if you put him first, if he's the Lord first, your job, your time, your money, your relationships, all of it, will be added to you after the counsel of his will. Amen. So that's my favorite, Matthew 6.33. And there's a whole cluster right in there that leads up. You know, The Sermon on the Mount, you have to remember, there's big crowds, and then Jesus would, would minister to his disciples. He, thinks, he says, to you it's been granted, to who? The, the real followers of Jesus, to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Do you want to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God? If you're a real disciple, you get to get in on. It's no longer a mystery once you have a revelation of these things. So you read it, if you read Mark chapter 4 or Luke chapter 6, when he talks about, quote, the parable of the sower, he, he says, everybody gets things symbolically in parables, but you get to get the real stuff. Yeah. So man, I love understanding the word of God. Yeah, that's so. great. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you like to do in, in your free time? Uh, hang out with my wife, my friends, my kids, my grandchildren. I have friends. And we got, uh, there's a scripture, Isaiah 65, verse 8 says, new wine is found in the cluster. One says, don't destroy it. There's a blessing in it. So I like to be in clusters of people. That's easy. You can talk about sports. You could talk about food. You could talk about the weather. You could talk about houses. And before long, the Holy Ghost gets in on it and you something is clicking you know i think you know that's why jesus says there are two or three are gathered my name because you can have a little fire pretty good when two or three people so i like to be with groups of people obviously i've been in crowds big crowds little crowds i've been 
privilege to be interviewed on TV and stuff like that, all that. But again, I've had amazing things just with close contact. Yeah. So free time. I, I, I like outside stuff. I like to share food with friends, stories, storytelling, being with friends. Yeah. Meeting strangers. You know, I mean, I had a funny one. A couple of us, three weeks ago, I was speaking over here at a place about a half hour away. A large, large meeting in a big house, actually, what it was. And we're running home, had to grab some gasoline and get home. And I went into this little store and there's some... The girl, the, the cashier wasn't there. And I, I was buying a couple ice cream things for my wife and made right up, get home. And I, I knew that she was in a hurry. And so I said, excuse me, where are you? And this girl comes out and she's got purple hair on one side, kind of silver gray on the other part of them. And she goes, she looks at me and she goes, she's bringing this thing up. She goes, your scars are sick. And I'm pretty sure that was a compliment. I mean, in that trendy millennial language. Well, you know, yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's cooler than tattoos. I think that's what she was. I don't think she was yeah. being, funky with me and I, sure and I didn't have to normally I would talk to me the, the man and his daughter behind me are like, are like horrified that this girl said it to me and the guy was yeah. like I just smiled at them I said I had to go my wife's going and I got ice cream and it's gonna melt normally I would say hey let me tell you about Jesus you know yeah and I, I don't have I can talk about Jesus in 30 seconds in a minute and a half or seconds or, or like this for two hours I could talk about life people and Jesus hopefully it's impacting and I'm not worried about being offensive I try not to condemn or be offensive. Uh, Jesus, it, it says, the scripture says that we're a fragrance of Christ. We smell like living things to people that want to get in on it, and we smell like death to people that are running from it. Yeah. We don't know sometimes who's who. Yeah. But we still want to radiate God. Yeah. So that so my spare time, I do like to have fun. I like yeah. sports, I like to fish. I love being on a lake. I, I didn't get to go snow skiing this year. I like it. I like Running around, hiking, like cooking on the grill and eating. And uh, I do love it when the Lord, in my spare time, God surprises me with his spirit. He does it. He's really good at it. <laughs> he may, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's not silly, foolish, stupid stuff. It's a deep happiness can be circumstantial. If I do something good, if I'm accomplishing something, if I do something at sports or do something in life that's good, it, it can make me happy. But yeah. joy is based on eternal things. It's deep. It's, it's like a well that just keeps going and it radiates. It bubbles up living stuff. Joy is strong. And, and the joy of the Lord should not be something that's snatched away. Things can be, we live in a cynical you know, perilous world, but we are seeing the kingdom of God advance, spread out. So that's, that's strength. All right. Uh, all right, Mickey, last question. Did, uh, if you could have dinner with five people, dead or alive, who would they be? Oh, man, I didn't do my homework on this one. <laughs> I probably would have Peter, Paul, and David from the Bible. Okay. Probably Billy Graham. I missed a chance to meet him or hear him in person enough. I went to his place last year. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. All right. One more. Uh, wait a minute. Well, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think, I think that works. Um, Probably Elijah. Elijah. Wow. Yeah. Great answer. Elijah the Tishbite. Tish it sounds like he's a linebacker. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I love that. That'd be a great, a great, great table to sit at. 
Um, awesome. Well, I got to say these two hours just flew by. Um, it's just incredible talking to you and you can just see the life in you. You just, uh, you know, you just have this energy about you and you just can't help but to, to preach, preach the good news. So it was, a uh, it's just truly uh, encouraging, um, to, to sit down with you today. Um, but go ahead and tell people, uh, you know, where they can get your books, how they can get in touch with you and, and any parting words. Uh, if you just do mickeyrobinson.com, there's a website which has other little doors in it. There's a video department, you know, there's stuff in there, there's books in there, there's events. I'm, I'm actually going to be at a place called Moravian Falls, North Carolina, the April 1st through, the, through Easter Sunday, next Sunday, or Resurrection Sunday. Uh, it's look up moravianwell.org and it'll describe where that is. It's a beautiful place in North Carolina. I've never been there before, but it's a new relationship. It's a church, maybe 120 days old and the people are on fire, really excited about the Lord. So I'm excited. Barbara and I are going to go there. Um, just look at mickeyrobinson.com and go through the various little things to look at. And there's a lot of free stuff. There's some TV interviews, uh, especially the ones I did on Dreams and Mysteries are really good. There's several of them. There was one at CBN that was short, and they had a big response of first-time people that wanted to know Jesus and this stuff. So, Awesome. Okay, could, let's, how about that you and I pray? That'd be great. You start. All right. Uh, dear Lord, we just thank you uh, that you, you're here with us uh, today, and we ask that you would use this interview to reach people um, and let them know your truth, that you are alive um, and that you um, have the power to heal and to love. Um, and uh, sure. we, we thank you. Um, we, we thank you uh, for your great love. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for this man, for his family. I thank you, Lord, that he's reaching young people as a teacher, and I know that they see light in him, and I pray that he have a greater confidence of you in him, the hope of glory, and I pray for anybody listening to this. Take everything you have and put it all in before the altar of the Lord. Say, God, take all that I have. Add together greater revelation of who you are and who I am with you and send me. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And he said, stay here in Jerusalem till you receive power. You shall receive the power that you need to do the work that God created you to do with all of your heart and all your might. Ask, receive, and go in the power of this love. In the strong name of Jesus, the Messiah. Be encouraged, be strengthened, be emboldened, be full of bravery to advance the kingdom and take as many people with you as you can. In that strong name, I pray and bless you and say amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this was great. Um, really appreciate it. Okay. Uh, really enjoyed it. All right. All right. Well, well let it be written and so let it be done. All right. Bye. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Mickey's story is an amazing example of how God can use you in mighty and miraculous ways. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you know. Like and subscribe. Email me at theweirdchristianpodcast at gmail.com. If you're listening on an audio podcast, leave us a rating and review, and we'll catch you on the next one.